Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 20th, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 39, paragraph, what is it? (laughs) Paragraph 2, excuse me for that. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Diane G., The Twelve Traditions, Anne-Marie M., and reading the text, Deanna B., Terry H., and Chelsea H. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, January 19th, 2015, is 7197. 7197. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctor. We take no positions on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer, our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. I'm grateful to be here this morning to read the steps. One. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. 
Thank you, Diane G. I will now ask Anne-Marie M. to please read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Melanie. Thanks for your service. This is Anne-Marie M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Rhode Island right now. Um, The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Eleven, every OA, I'm sorry, seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, OVEs Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, OVEs Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you. Thank you, Anne-Marie M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 39, paragraph 2, starting with Fred as a partner, and I will ask Deanna B. to begin our study. This is Deanna B., uh, now in Arizona, a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you. Fred is partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good. He has a fine home, is happily married, and the father of promising children of college age. He has so attractive a personality that 
He makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it is Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is alcoholic. We first saw Fred about a year ago in a hospital where he had gone to recover from a bad case of jitters. It was his first experience of this kind, and he was much ashamed of it. Far from admitting he was an alcoholic, he told himself he came to the hospital to rest his nerves. The doctor intimated strongly that intimidated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. For a few days, he was depressed about his condition. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. Never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so, in spite of his character and standing. Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. We told him that whatever we told him that what we knew about alcoholism. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. He was positive that this humiliating experience plus the knowledge that he had acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. What a paragraph I remember yesterday uh, when we read it. uh, Not yesterday. Well, yes, yesterday. Anyway, um, that it came to my mind in 1989 when I was in my first treatment for my eating disorder that uh, everybody, uh, I have the book, in fact, uh, I I used the book and, and people marked in it you helped me so much. Oh, Deanna, you changed my life. You did this and you did that. And that was what I did. I helped everyone else and couldn't help myself. Did I accept that I had a, uh, there was a spiritual remedy for this problem? I don't believe so. Uh, I always believed that God helps those who help themselves. And virtually that is true. But I believed that I had to do it first, that I couldn't just let go and let God take care of it because I had to control it. Uh, I was in two treatments for my eating disorder, and when I was introduced to a vision for you almost almost a year ago, uh, something happened, something different happened. So it's like uh, self-knowledge, yes, I had a lot of self Knowledge. I worked in the field for 30 years of addiction, eating disorders, and alcoholism. And everybody used to come to me and say, Deanna, you helped me so much. And I wanted to shake them and say, what did I do? What did I do? And what they found was their higher power. I hadn't. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deanna B. Who would like to comment on what was read this morning? This is Bella. Can I share? Larry? Yes. Yes, good morning, Bella. And I did hear you too, Larry. Good morning, Bella. Good morning. Thank you, Melanie, for doing this service. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God, that I am back in New York. Self-knowledge would fix it. Wow, such a strong sentence, and I live this sentence all my life. 
I was, you know, as a religious person, I was connected to God, but not, not all the way. I still needed and wanted and believed I have the control. I always said, yes, God will help me, but first I need to help myself. And how I will help myself? Self-knowledge. Whatever I know, most probably it's not enough. I still need self-knowledge. And not like Fred. Fred was a big and successful businessman, and he was he had a, a promising children. I always blamed. Uh, I blamed. I blame my teachers. I blame my parents. I blame everybody. And all the time, my my goal was self knowledge. If I will have self knowledge, or in different words, self control, I can do it. And thank you, God, that now I am in the program. Thank you, God, I got a present. I am connected to a higher power, a power that accepts me and loves me and respects me the way I am. And yes, I know I don't have a control, not, not for my disease and not in control in my life. I have only the ability to choose one day at a time. And today, now, I choose to be connected to a loving power that, that, that my connection with God will help me with my disease. Thank you very much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Larry Kay. Thanks, Melanie, for your service. Uh, this is Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Chicago. Um, you know, what I, when I think back... Um, when I think back in my program, um, you know, there was a difference between knowledge and the application of, of the correct knowledge and self-knowledge. The self-knowledge that I had, I viewed from, you know, from my own perceptive lenses. And my, my, my own perceptive lens told me that self-will would get me through. And, you know, to be quite frank, I had evidence that self-will worked in certain areas of my life. It seemed to, it, it, it appeared that way anyway, you know, um, applying myself to different, reaching different goals, um, you know, that seemed to work. And so why wouldn't it work in this, in this situation, dealing with this situation, you know, where I, where I continue to, I continue to, uh, to stuff my face day after day, um, regardless of how much knowledge that I had about myself, you know the you know vision for you there. When I say there's nothing special, we're all special, and this is very very special group of people. Um, but there's nothing special. I think hopefully you'll you'll understand my meaning. There's nothing special about vision for you. This isn't it isn't the vision for you program. You know what it is is uh, is we work. Uh, we work a a textbook that was published in 1939 called Alcoholics Anonymous, and we work the very precise directions given in that that big book. What makes what makes Vision special is there's so few. Unfortunately, there's so few groups in 12-step programs that are actually working what what worked for folks back in the 1930s and since then. 
and that is working these steps to have a spiritual transformation, to be to be rewired, rebooted, if you will. Um, you know, press control, out delete. You know, and and I had to have the uh, the desire to apply these steps. You know, because God would never do it for me. God, I'm driving to to work this morning. You know, God God isn't driving uh, my car, as far as I can tell. I'm, I'm I've got my hands on the wheel here. Uh, I'm pressing the gas. You know, maybe God in the divine wisdom is is behind it all. I would believe that's true, but. You know, I had to work it. I couldn't be a spectator. I could not be a spectator. A spectator would get me nothing. It might make me feel good temporarily, but it would get me nothing. And what what's so fascinating and one of the great paradoxes of this program is, you know, that we have to take action, and yet at the same time, wait a minute, you're telling me that I'm powerless. I'm powerless over this twofold nature of the disease. But you know what? I had to put my heroin down. And, and uh, you know, wisdom is gained experientially, not conceptually. We have to experience it ourselves. We have to do it. This program is not for people who want it, and it's not for people who need it. It's for people who do it. And once you do it and you see this, this practical program of action all the way through, it transforms your life. I'll just finish by saying I remember a guy that I was, I did a workshop, uh, thank you, God, that anybody wants to hear what I have to say, really, truly, you wouldn't have 10 years ago. And um, I get back from the the workshop, right, and I, I, I get back home many miles, and I see this gentleman in a scooter uh, in Walmart, and he's scooting around, and uh, I had met him before, and uh, I hadn't seen him in the meetings in a while, and this gentleman was probably well over 600 pounds, and he was dying. And I had some things in my cart. He had some things in his cart. And he he said, you know, Larry, you know, that, that, that uh, you know, that dairy will kill you. Now, here I am, you know, here I am. God has changed me, I'm, you know, and he's changed me physically. I'm 5'10", 160 pounds. Thank you, God, 100 pounds less than I was. And this man of 600 pounds was sincerely telling me that his doctor had told him about, I don't know, some cockamamie thing you know um and i said to him i said you know what it's very discreetly and quietly it wasn't very crowded in there i said you know so and so you're dying man you're dying do you know how crazy that sounds that's the insanity you're a beautiful human being you know how crazy that sounds for you to tell me that give me a call you know and let's talk about this you know let's talk about you know, getting back in the fold so god can change you you can have your own spiritual awakening that's what's, there's no magic in this. This is do, uh, doing the program and, and getting the result. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Charles H. from Thank New you. York. Thank you, Larry K. Good morning, Charles H. Melissa Anyone else? J. Anita J. Renata. Okay, let's go with those four. And we'll get, to the rest. we'll get to the rest just after these four. Charles H., Melissa, Anita J., and Renata. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Um, my name is Charles H. a recovered visionary just for today. Um, he was positive that this humiliating experience plus the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober for the rest of his life. That's right. Self-knowledge would fix it. Um, and, and in the next 
The next sentence says, we heard no more of Fred for a while. Wow. So, you know, not to move ahead, but, you know, Fred, you know, I went to my hotel room, and as I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought crossed my mind, came to my mind. That same thought that Jim had on page 36 suddenly, right? That, and that's how, that, that just describes my disease. I could be doing step work. Uh, I could be, you know, running all these meetings. I could be living in the meetings. I could be, you know what I mean? And the thought is going to cross my mind, which is the obsession, you know, which is the, which is the, which is the crux of my problem, you know. Um, and then it says, in 41, physically I felt fine. What about mentally? What about mentally? Like, I need to be brainwashed positively every day, not just in a vision for you. And thank you, Larry, for saying that so beautifully. Like, it ain't nothing special about, you know, we, we, we break down this big book and we work the 12 steps, the program of action. And, 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 and you know, it's such a privilege um, for me, you know, to give it back to somebody. That's the main purpose. You know, I was at a men's meeting, um, I was at a men's meeting last Monday, you know, and, 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 and this guy was dropping it, man. Oh, excuse me. He was dropping it, and he was telling me that, you know, 14% of Overeaters Anonymous is men. But out of the 14%, I don't know where he got the stats from, but he ain't never lied. Out of the 14%, maybe 2% is doing step work. We're dying, man. I, you know, I met with my sponsor yesterday um, to get some step work done, not for him, I'm showing the vision that men, future men, future men of our world anonymous and overeaters anonymous, they're going to need you. We need you to recover. That's the main purpose of this book, right? So, you know, that self-knowledge ain't going to help. I knew I was eating too much. I knew I loved sugar. I knew I was killing myself. And And I didn't care. I was willing to pay the price until I got the vision that, you know what? I'm going to die on compulsive overeater. But today, just for today, the thought crossed my mind that if I keep my nose in this textbook and utilize it in my life and, and, and give it to another human being, a, a man, not a woman, because you know what? Just from, by my experience, we get to that fourth step, you, you know, talking about sex inventory, it's just not a right fit for me. There's no rule that say I can't. But you know what? I'm sponsoring men. That's my job. You know, once I, I get a sponsor through the steps, you know, I nudge him to get somebody else and get that program and so on and so forth. And, 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 and that's the vision for me. That's the vision for me. So you know what? Self-knowledge ain't doing nothing. You know, thank God that uh, Overeaters Anonymous came to me as, as a suggestion in the form of a doctor. So I thank God for the doctor's opinion as well. Kaboom. Hashtag, I love you, doctor, in the form of God. So with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. Melissa. Is that Melissa Hi, C? This, <laughs> Hi, this is Melissa C., a compulsive overeater, recovered from New York. And, um, you know, humiliation and self-knowledge <laughs> would work on a normal person. Um, you know, I I have been humiliated by this disease for years, and um, you know it seems like this morning I you know I read this and I did my writing before the meeting, and um, you know flooding into my mind was 
all the humiliation that um, I suffered that, you know, I um, ran to the food to um, to ease the pain of that humiliation rather than connect to the fact that the food was contributing to my humiliation. I, um, you know, when I was a, a teenager, I put on 100 pounds in a really short amount of time. And that was really when the disease was grabbing hold of me. Um, I was struggling to diet, and I couldn't stop eating. And I remember overhearing two boys talking about me. Um, they didn't know I, that, that I was around the corner. And I heard them say, my God, what happened to that girl? She used to be so pretty. She got really fat. And, and I remember how much pain, you know, this is like 40 years ago, 30-some-odd years ago, how much that hurt to hear that. Um, and I swore. I remember swearing, that's it. I'm going on a diet. And, you know, by the weekend I was eating again. Um, and, and that this was just one of many painful experiences um, that, of humiliation that should have kept me from eating. You know, and I and I did get knowledge over the years that there was something really seriously wrong with me when it came to food. That if I ate a certain thing, I couldn't stop, and it was all I could think about. And yet, you know, self knowledge and humiliation never did anything to arrest my disease. In fact, if anything, it only made it worse um, because it was so painful. There was nothing else I could do but eat. And, um, you know, then coming to Oak Readers Anonymous, um, you know, I gained some more knowledge about myself. And yet for years I really wasn't able to pick up the spiritual toolkit because somewhere I hadn't really done step one. I was still clinging to this notion that someday I was going to get control of it, that someday I was going to be thin and that a thin person would never allow this to happen again. But I've lost hundreds of pounds over and over again and getting thin and, and of course, gaining more knowledge about myself um, never did anything to arrest my illness. Uh, You know, it really wasn't until I um, became willing to do the work and say, you know what, I've given up. I I will never grow new legs. And, um, And so I need I need the crutch of this program. I, I need the fellowship. I need to work my program like it's life or death because it is life or death. And, um, you know, I'm glad today that self-knowledge wasn't enough because I've been transformed and it, it's filled into every area of my life. And, and I'm blessed today. Thank you. Without all that. Thank you, Melissa C. Anita J. Hi. This is Anita J. You can hear me, Melanie? I can. Good morning. All right. All right. I'm a very thankful, recovered, compulsive overeater living in Massachusetts and living in the solution. Somebody used to say that all the time. Um, I want to hone in on the word humiliation. It didn't matter. I think even that progressed. The humiliating experiences or comments to me, the comments. A good, quote, good friend used to say when she saw me pass certain foods, 
do you really mean it this time or are you faking it for us uh, with a table full of people? That that was further on in the humiliations because on my honeymoon, a waiter in a French wait uh, restaurant said to me, Madame will get fat if she keeps eating like this. That that might have stopped some people, but that what didn't stop me. And I just wanted to mention too that as uh, of my behaviors, I used to replace food. I never ate the flavor ice cream I wanted. It was just what my husband had in the house, and he had this. I never liked it, Neapolitan. And I tried to replace. I used to just replace it and eat down to the level. And one day. Um, I ran out and bought it, and they didn't have that brand. So I thought, I'll stick it in this cart. I'll put it in the carton. And the stripes went the wrong way. And I am there trying to pack it in when the door opens, and it's my husband surprising me, coming home from uh, work for lunch. And, you know, I was standing there in a size 10 outfit, Weight is not the issue. That head of mine made me do that. But the one of the worst, and I didn't get recovered after this, I was stuffing myself. I was in the car. I had bought all this chocolate, which I couldn't bring home, and I'm trying to eat it on the way home. And I get into a coughing fit, and my bladder went. In this, I think the car was like nine months old, and... I couldn't stop myself. When I walked in that house, it was like when my kids were little and they had wet their pants out playing because they didn't want to come in. Is that humiliating enough, Anita? Well, evidently it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't any humiliation didn't do it. Somehow, and it may not be vision is that special, but it was special for me. God puts things in our paths and a vision for you, breaking it down paragraph by paragraph, smashing, as they said the other day, smashing it home. You have a problem, lady, but we have a solution. And thank you, God, that I have now listened and am actually doing it and helping others do it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Anita J. And next up is Renata G., but right after Renata, we'll move on to continue our study with having Terry H. read the next two paragraphs. But for now, Renata, will you be our last chair on this paragraph, please? Sure. Hi, Melanie. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Renata G., recovered because, uh, composed over it in New York. Far from admitting he was an alcoholic, um, you know, my process was gradual. You know, I, I've, I've been a compulsive overeater as far as I can remember, but I never realized what I what I did with the food, that, you know, I was killing myself with food. You know, I've always ate to numb out, but I didn't really realize that until I had a really, really bad binge, and I binged on something that is so salty that at night I couldn't sleep because my kidneys hurt so bad. And I was in so much pain and I was crying. And it was the first time that it occurred, it occurred to me that I was killing myself with food. 
you know, before that, I thought, well, I just have a weight problem. I need to find the right diet. So, you know, that nasty binge was enough to bring me to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous because I, I had heard of it in the past, but I thought, you know, that's too drastic. That's not for me. I, I just have a, a weight problem. I don't, you know, that's that's too much. But then I finally came to the room, but I was still not convinced. You know, I could identify in with some things, but I did not identify in with everything. And it says, Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept the spiritual remedy for his problem. And that's what I did. You know, I came to the room. Like I said, I could identify in with some stuff. And I liked uh, things that I heard in rooms. I, I used the rooms as, you know, dieting with group support. I would go to meetings and use them as therapy sessions. I would, you know, I was abstaining from my obvious trigger food, but I wasn't really willing to put everything down and be entirely abstinent. You know, I was losing weight, but I was, you know, still roaring through lights of others. I was, you know, every time I went to a meeting, I would hope for motivational speakers so, you know, it could keep me going a little longer because I was so miserable, right, being abstinent. Um, and, uh, but I, I, I thought that I didn't need to do the step work, you know, I'll, I'll keep on abstaining from my obvious trigger foods, losing the weight, using the tools like crazy every day, you know, to, to keep me going. And, uh, I really didn't think I need to do the step work, you know, it's a 12 step program. If I'm not working the steps, I'm really just dieting with group support. And until... I made a decision to work the steps and get serious about this program until I could fully conceive in my heart that I'm a real compulsive reader and everything I have tried failed, including going to OA meetings without working the steps. I, you know, I, nothing changed. But after doing the work, after going through this process, you know, today I, I'm free, thank God, you know, one day at a time. And I will settle fast. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. And Terry H., would you continue our study, please, by reading the first two paragraphs, paragraph one and paragraph two on page 40? Yes, thanks, Mel. My name is Terry H., recovered compulsive overeater in Maine. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told he was back in the hospital. This time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive, for here was a trap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all other concerns, yet was flat on his back, nevertheless. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you, most of you fellows, that I had been usually, usually successful in licking my other personal problems, and that I would therefore be successful where you men failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident, and it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. 
you know, I'm so grateful for these these um these two paragraphs. Um, you know, here we are in more about alcoholism, and I always I, I'm I'm so grateful for all the examples that they give in this chapter because I call it more truth about alcoholism, and I can totally identify in with Fred. You know, I I remember coming into the rooms in um, the year 2000, and I had a I had come into OA and I was beaten and broken and um, I had quite the weight gain and I remember coming in and receiving a food plan and uh, really, really, you know, um, serious about this food plan and I started doing this food plan and, um, you know, I uh, had I had really started getting success. I had, you know, three months in OA and I started losing weight and I was feeling good and but I have to I have to be honest about that. You know, when I came into the rooms, you know, I had reservations from the from the beginning that I wasn't staying. You know, I wasn't staying because I, I did not want to fully concede to myself that I had this thing. And um so I had the food plan, I was doing well and um, you know, three months after after program I left program and uh you know, I had the food plan, I was doing good and then months months out of program I picked something up off that off that food plan that was actually on the food plan, and um, but it was mixed with something that was not on the food plan, which was mixed with molasses. And um, you know that that one can I have to tell you took me out for a four year binge, and um, you know I did not come back in until 2004. And I love this first line where it says, "We heard no more of Fred for a while because nobody was chasing me. Nobody was chasing me. Um, you know it was evident that <clears throat> I was not coming back." It was evident with my weight gain that you know I, I had put back on the weight that I had lost, um, and nobody was nobody was running after me, and I'm so grateful for that because I was not ready. I was not ready, and um, you know I had not I had not been beaten down to the pulp, um, and you know that four year binge brought me back in 2004, and um, you know I'm so I'm so grateful that I had that experience because I know today, true in my heart, that. I'm always going to believe the lie that, um, you know, until I fully, fully concede to my innermost self that, you know, I have this thing and that I am a real compulsive overeater, I'm always going to be, believe the lie. And, you know, as long as I believe the lie, I will always run smack into the truth. And, um, you know, the lie always smacked me in my face. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful today that there's a solution and that I know I cannot exercise my own willpower, that I have to have a high, higher power and continue to live in 10, 11, and 12, and, um, you know, have a daily reprieve continue on my spiritual my spiritual condition. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Terry H. Who would like to comment on that one? Thank you, we are. Anne-Marie M. Carol G. I have, so, I have so far. Thank you, Carol. I have Chelsea H., Marcella, Julie R., Rasa O, Anne-Marie, and Carol G. We'll start with Chelsea. Good morning, Chelsea. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. This is Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Um, I want to hone in on the line. I reasoned. I was not far as so far advanced as most of you fellows that I had been usually successful in licking my other problems and that I would therefore be successful where you men had failed. And that was pretty much my attitude for the decades that I've been around these rooms until uh, about almost two years ago. And one of the things that this information is saying to me is that it doesn't matter how much I know about this disease. It doesn't matter how much I know about 
my self-will and being able to do things. For example, I'm very successful. I have a small business. I've been in the theater. I've done many, many great things with my life and everything. And I've always been um, well-liked. I've never had the issue of trying to act like anyone else or be accepted by anyone else. All of that made me think that I could do it on my own. That's that I reasoned. I was stuck, stuck on the bridge of reason, doing endless investigations, doing 90 meetings in 90 days, countless slogans, just banting them about with no real reason or rhyme behind them, and still all the while eating and still all the while saying that the program didn't work, still all the while saying that I wasn't even a compulsive overeater. How could I be? I mean, after all, I had been on Broadway. How in the world could I be a compulsive overeater? But then one of the things that I noticed was that even through all the meetings and even getting on committees, giving service at intergroup, it wasn't enough. It was not sufficient to shift my thinking. Even on the way home from many of these things, I would eat. So I, I had this whole I got this mentality. I had a mentality that I got this. I don't need a sponsor. I don't need it. I don't need to have to deal with any of this stuff. And part of the reason was is that I thought that in and of myself, I had enough knowledge now, especially when I first came into the rooms, crawled back in, over 320-some pounds, crawled back in, and, oh, still there was somebody else in the room bigger than me, so I can't be that bad. I can do this because I've done it before. I've stopped a gajillion times, so I can do this. But now that I know and at the time, OA told you that, t was saying that you had a threefold disease and had some kind of little stool imagery with it, I just carried around those legs of that stool saying that I was this, I was that, I didn't have to do this, I don't have to do that, meanwhile eating all the time on the way home. I reasoned. And as long as I was not absolutely convinced that I was a compulsive overeater, because I was reticent to say I was an alcoholic, that, there was no stigma with it. To have to glut me on the list of my things that I am? Oh, heavens, no. So bulimia, laxatives, all these other things, all these different endless ways to try to control this disease so I could eat the way I wanted to eat. It had nothing to do with really even losing weight, to tell you the truth. I just thought that that would be a byproduct if I could eat these things and be able to enjoy them. But it just never came to that in and of itself. It wasn't until I walked through this process, all 12 steps, followed the instructions I was given, and then implemented them, and then started teaching them myself and working with others and doing everything that it takes to maintain that spiritual remedy, I no longer am writing my own uh, prescriptions. Because those things that I was trying to do, I thought were the remedies, but it said that Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. And that was my experience. Chelsea would not believe that she was a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety, no less. And that much less would I accept any spiritual remedy because I've been living on self-propulsion for decades. Why in the world now do I need help? So until we go back to page 33 and do what it says, we learn we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we are compulsive overeaters. That is the first step in recovery. The delusion that I can go to 90 meetings in 90 days and recover from this, the delusion that I could do practice bulimia and take countless liquid laxatives, the delusion from moving from city to city, the delusion that some kind of happiness truck will pull up once I lose weight, 
and I'll be able to eat what I want and keep it off, had to be smashed. And it wasn't until then was I able to walk through this process, get the relief, establish a relationship with power, and then carry the message to somebody else that they too can find a way out. So thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Chelsea. Marcella M. Marcella, press star one. Oh, can you hear me now, Melanie? I can. Hello. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Recovered, Marcella, recovered compulsive overeater in Boston. Um, so the words that, I, that caught my attention this morning was subtle insanity. The subtle insanity. So we're studying the four cases of relapse. All these people, <clears throat> the man of 30, the Jay Walker, and, and Fred and Jim, all of them started started recovered, like in, a, in, a, in, a, in translating into our disease, all of them went to OA for a few meetings. I don't know if they, if they took step one, two, three, or one, two, two, it doesn't really matter, but they stopped working in their spiritual condition. And, and the soul insanity came in. What's the soul insanity? It's a thought. It's a very seductive, almost innocent thought, like thoughts that every once in a blue moon come to my mind. Oh, come on, it's been almost four years and you're size four, and you're doing like a really good program on exercise, one package of Splenda won't hurt you. It just won't hurt you. What, what's a little just sweetener on the tea? I can handle one. That's the subtle insanity. And how do we guard against the subtle insanity? There's no other, just, there's no shortcut. We have to get together. We have to remind us that we have a connection with our higher power. We have to turn to our higher power have to develop that connection and then translate it into service to others because nobody has a solution for these problems except for us. What a privilege, but also what a responsibility. So in a way, this is like the Cinderella dress. The Cinderella dress, I go to bed every single night. I go to bed, thank you, God, with my beautiful size four. I'm not hungry. I, 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 my mind is clear. And I go to bed abstinent. In the morning, I wake up a compulsive overeater. And, and to get my, my, my Cinderella dress, which is called my sobriety for today, I have to get together with you. And I say, oh, there is something better than chocolate. That connection to my God, that's what gives me intense satisfaction, unequivocal pleasure, and the total certainty that I'm safe and protected, and that I don't need food to calm me down or to give me courage. Another thing that I'm going to say is that the subtle insanity is that um, to keep the same food, to pretend or to expect the exact same food plan will work for the rest of my life, because it won't as I age and my metabolism changes or as I exercise more. And one thing that I've never heard before that I, my yoga teacher reminded me, um, water is food. I need water. Water is my safe food. I, I, I kind of like, I'm almost sure that if you're a compulsive overeater, you're not very good friends with plain water, as I was not. But now I'm making very, very good friends with plain water, and, and that is a safe food for me. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Marcella. Next is Julie R. And if anyone needs time or support, I can do that for you, too. Good morning, Julie. Hi, Melanie. Um, thank you for your service. And yes, please, timer would be great. I'm Julie okay. R., recovered compulsive overeater from California. 
And, you know, the first sentence just hits you. We heard no more from Fred for a while. Just kind of like I did before OA. With every diet I went on, everybody knew I had found it. I was going to lose weight. And then after two, three, four weeks, four months, I would take that first bite. And then I wouldn't talk about it anymore. And I like that um, third sentence, or maybe it's the fourth sentence. The story he told us is most instructive, is telling us, look at this. Learn from from Fred. My self-will was so strong. I started away at age 22 in 1981. Lost 100 pounds right away. It was gray sheet. You know, was speaking, was this. And I met my uh, future husband, and I reached over and grabbed a piece of food off his plate because I was I didn't think I had to be so structured and disciplined. Self-knowledge didn't do anything for me because I left the rooms, came back 150 pounds overweight the next time in like 1983. Um, my self-will helps me in my self-confidence in other areas of my life, in my professional life, things like that. It works great, but not with this disease. Every time, every time I think I can do it on my own or less structured, I fall into the the depths of despair. And it's just real important for me to remember that it has nothing to do with self-knowledge. It has to do with my action, my spirituality. What am I going to do today to help another still suffering compulsive overeater? So this was a great, great lesson for me. And unfortunately, I had to learn it more than once. But today, I know that my willpower has nothing to do with my program of recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Julia. Uh, oh. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Melanie Kay, for your service. And I am Vasa O, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, calling from Florida. And I'm so grateful today that I'm, I'm in this solution. But I can identify with Fred so much. You know, I was successful in many areas um, in my life. With money, I struggled. <laughs> but I was stay-home mom, and, you know, I had the three kids. We, the, we had the house, and, you know, we had the dog and a cat at the time, you know, and everything seemed so put together from the outside, uh, but I was still, I was a compulsive overeater, and uh, I'm just putting some papers here. Uh, uh, so for me, self-knowledge or will would fix me, and that's what I used for 25 years of my life. I tried to fix myself for years. I read all kinds of books, how to diet, how to measure weight, and the Weight Watchers, I became a life member. Could never, I never could keep it down. You know, I learned how to measure weight over there and count calories. Um, I did exercising, running, um, using all kinds of um, things. You know, I've used little uh, laxatives. I had done little bulimia. I did a lot of anorexia for that special occasion. I'm going to skip the meals to lose that weight, to get into the bathing suit or to get into my wedding gown, whatever. And whatever I was doing was just not working anymore. And I thank God for bringing me to the solution, the big book, the 12 steps. 
recognizing what allergy was, uh, the identification with other people, the mental obsession. And, you know, I remember my sponsor said, this is a physical, emotional, spiritual program. It's like a three-legged uh, stool. She said, if you, if you don't do all at once, the stool is going to be tipped, you know. And I was just so fearful, you know. I said, you know what? I don't want to die. I, I need to do the, the suggestions that I get here and throw myself into the program, you know, the meetings, the 12 steps, the big book. But that was the solution to me, you know, really, where I had no hope anymore. There was no more hope left, you know. Um, and I came to God. God brought me to the 12 steps, and I have never left. So I came in the program in 1986. Notice that by the grace of God, I'm still abstinent today and sane and peaceful and joyful person. Yes, I've had some difficult times over the years, you know, but God has been always there to help me and people to support me, whatever I was going to through, to just encourage me, keep going. Don't, don't, no matter what, no matter what, don't go back into the food. That's not the answer to my problem. And um, that's what I do. I go to God. I do my program. I do the 12 steps. Just so grateful to be here today with all of you. And I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And Anne-Marie, M., you're up now, and you'll be the last one to share. I apologize, Carol. We will run out of time today. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning. Um, I'm Melanie. Jane-Marie M., recovered uh, compulsive eater in Rhode Island at this time. Um, thanks for your service. The um, couple of lines really jumped out at me, but that last sentence, um, I had, I felt I had every right to be self-confident, that it would only be a matter of exercising myself, my willpower, and keeping on God. I'm not sure if anybody else referenced page 63, 62, uh, the second paragraph. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves ourselves, the alcoholic, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he really, he usually doesn't think so, and I didn't think so. I thought I had every right to be able to eat as I wanted to eat. Um, I had read lots of books. I knew what I was doing, yet I was still compulsively eating, so that really jumped out at me, and the other sentence was um, on page 40, the last paragraph, the second sentence, I had um, no trouble refusing drinks and began to wonder if I had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. And when I first began coming to the meetings, um, I was I was desperate to lose weight. That, that was going to be the um, answer to my problems. If I lost enough weight, I would be thin enough and happy enough and smart enough. So that was the answer I thought that and certainly was not because I got down to that weight and <laughs> all my dreams did not come true. So that the, the weight issue was not the, the answer. Um, but I began to think, because I remember being on certain diets and being able, being successful, and I thought, am I making too big of a deal of this? Then I started listening at the meetings and people saying that sugar was like a drug, was just as much a drug as anything else. And I thought, these people are Looney Tunes. If they think that sugar is a drug, you know, they're trying to um, wash my mind, mind washing. You know, I, I thought, 
they're trying to convince me. Yet, when I was eight years old and I was binge eating and compulsively eating, I had no one trying to uh, convince me or brainwash me into thinking that I was a compulsive eater. So no one was trying to brainwash me. And um, that thought uh, that I was trying to make too too big of a deal of this was uh, also part of my denial. So I want to thank you, and I will pass. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. And thank you to everyone this morning for sharing. And now I will um, ask Chelsea H. to please read on page 164, A Vision for You. Good morning, Chelsea. Morning, Melanie. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.